Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 302, entitled The Glass Ballerina. This is the 51st hour of the series, and there are 70 to go. And with that, let's jump right into the Wikipedia summary for the episode. In flashbacks, a young son breaks a glass ballerina and blames it on the maid, despite her father, Mr. Pike, warning her that the maid would be fired. Later, son as an adult is shown having an affair with Jay Lee, who attempts to give her a pearl necklace. She refuses, afraid that her husband would see it. Then, to her shame, Mr. Pike barges in and finds them in bed together. Mr. Pike later summons son's husband, Jin, saying that Jay has been stealing from him and that Jin is to put an end to it, implying that he is to be killed. But when Jin ambushes and beats up Jay, he cannot bring himself to commit murder and instead orders Jay to leave the country. However, as Jin gets into his car, Jay's body suddenly lands on the windshield. Jay's corpse is still clutching the pearl necklace. At Jay's funeral, Sun runs into her father. She asks if he would ever tell Jin about the affair, but he says that it was not his place to tell Jin. On the island, in the sunboat, Sun, Jin, and Saeed argue about what to do because Jack's party has not shown up. Sun goes against her husband's wishes and agrees with Saeed to sail to a new location. They find the others docked and come ashore to build a signal fire to lure the others into an ambush. Meanwhile, among the others, Ben orders Colleen to put together a team and capture Saeed's boat. Her team avoids Saeed and Jin and instead sneaks aboard the boat, where they encounter Sun below deck. Sun shoots Colleen in the abdomen and narrowly manages to escape overboard. Kate and Sawyer are forced to work in a quarry, digging and carrying rocks. Alex secretly asks Kate about Carl, and Sawyer creates a distraction by kissing Kate passionately, steals a rifle, and is trying to escape, but is forced to relinquish it when Juliet threatens to shoot Kate. Back in their cages, Sawyer tells Kate what he learned about the fighting abilities of the various others. He says that Juliet would have shot Kate without a problem, and criticizes the others. They start discussing plans to escape, not knowing that Ben is monitoring their conversation via security cameras. Ben then visits Jack, telling him his real name, that he has lived on the island all his life. He offers that if Jack cooperates, he will be sent home. Jack believes the others are also stranded just as he is, but Ben informs him of the exact time and date of the plane crash, that 69 days have passed, and insists that they are in contact with the outside world. He shows this by citing various current events, including the Boston Red Sox winning the 2004 World Series. Once Ben tells him about the Red Sox, Jack starts laughing and says to prove he is lying. Ben then proves it by playing a recording of the final play of the game as Jack watches in shock. And with that, let's now get to my thoughts about the episode. 
It's a fantastic opener. Uh, there's a long black cut after the previously unlost segment. Uh, it's kind of slightly surreal. Uh, the next shot is uh, kind of a high production image of the glass bar- ballerina falling, having been broken by a young and spoiled son. The flashback ends with Sun and Jin and Saeed on the boat. Hey, remember them? We haven't seen them since last season. Uh, there's uh, a nice bit of exposition reminding us uh, why they are there. Light the smoke, meet Jack. Uh, and then we see the overly protective Jin demanding that they go home, or at least back to the, the beach. Sun asserts herself, yay girl power, and they uh, end up keeping on sailing uh, because she will be able to help if, uh, of course, Jin does not. With that, we cut to a sullen Jack, shocker, sitting in the corner, refusing Juliet's soup. Juliet leaves and goes to Ben's viewing room. Between the video monitors in the background and his referencing the soup, it's clear that Ben has been watching uh, all the uh, all the interactions going on there in, uh, in uh, what I suppose we could call Jack's, uh, Jack's cage of sorts. Uh, after that, we get some exposition, which clearly is set up for this episode. Um, and, you know, generally exposition isn't going to be that interesting, but between Ben and Colleen and Giacchino's music, it just absolutely sizzles. Am I interrupting something? Would it really matter if you were? We have a situation. Brian radioed in. The Iraqi found the decoy village. Good. It's what we wanted. Brian followed him back to the shore. And they have a sailboat. Oh. I have no idea. So they have a boat. Sailing in circles will keep them busy. They could find us. I'm thinking. How quickly can you put together a team? Within the hour. And don't waste time talking to us. Hey, Colleen. I want that boat. I'm not entirely sure what makes that great. Uh, I, again, I think it's just the combination of, uh, oh, the natural friction between Colleen and, uh, and Juliet. And uh, basically, anytime Michael Emerson opens his mouth to read dialogue as Ben, it's fantastic. Uh, and then, of course, Giacchino's music there is really selling kind of you know, that there's something creepy, something amazing is going on. Um, I also don't quite know why Ben wants the boat. Um, off the top of my head, there's not some overarching story reason. Um, perhaps it's just that Ben doesn't like the other people having toys that, that he doesn't. At any rate, the, uh, the clip ends uh, also with just this fantastic close-up of Ben his face is barely twitching, but in, it uh, indeed is twitching. Just really nice tension to the scene. Really nice, I don't know, zip to things. We get, uh, after that, the title card. And then Sawyer gamely cooling his jets in Dharma, the outdoor prison playset. Uh, he, as well as uh, Kate, get uh, collected by Tom Friendly and Danny. Luckily, Danny gets called Danny so that we know he's Danny. Uh, and then they're on their way to some hard work. Uh, with that, we cut to the boaties, Sun apologizing for disagreeing in front of Jin, and Jin saying she shouldn't disagree with him, period. 
She promptly ignores him on that last topic, plugging along to remind him that she's there because she'll never, ever leave him. Aww. Uh, and with this idea of their love never, ever leaving each other, quick cut to a naked son in bed with a naked Jay Lee, the Korean Mr. Clean. They are post-coitus and perhaps pre-round two. Uh, it's rather fun to see Jay Lee go from kind of master of the universe. I think we're assuming he's in uh, one of the hotels that uh, he and his family own. Um, of course, there's suddenly a rattling at the door. Uh, a, a porter enters, and Jay Lee is all set to yell at him. But then uh, who walks in? Of course, uh, it's uh, Mr. Pike, who, by the way, in my notes, for some reason, I call him Mr. Kwan. So I apologize in advance if uh, at some point I slip and call him Mr. Kwan. But indeed, it is Mr. Pike. Um, not Mr. Kwan the fishmonger, although at the moment that might be a tad more appropriate given the scene. But anyhow, um, it's it's great fun to see Jay Lee, you know, as I said, kind of, you know, the boss of the hotel to the mighty Mr. Pike walking in, catching them, uh, you know, having committed the deed. Anyhow, uh, with that, the flashback ends, and Sawyer and Kate are taken to the work site where rocks are broken and moved. Uh, it sounds like an old-timey prison, although uh, there's lots of hilarity that ensues uh, with their guard. Well, I guess that's Pickett, right? That is Pickett. Um, trying to be serious while Sawyer cracks jokes. Yeah, sure enough, I'll, I'll admit some loss to losty cred here. I, I did have to uh, take a quick look. Yes, of course, duh. Pickett is, uh, is Danny. Um, I find that there's a bit of um, some of these supporting... Uh, others. I find that for some reason they don't stick really well. Um, and maybe that's because they really are just kind of minor characters. You know, there's a there's a Sawyer-Pickett conflict that, uh, you know, hangs around kind of at the periphery long enough for it to be resolved in, in later seasons and all that. Um, but basically, you know, aside from, aside from Tom Friendly uh, and, you know, of course, Ben and Juliet, I feel like for some reason, the others kind of don't don't stick particularly well. But say la vie. Um, I wonder, too, what sort of work prison this is. Are all the people there, are they naughty others who need some silent time out of rock breaking? Uh, surely it's not some elaborate setup for uh, Kate and Sawyer to, to work at. By the way, I will admit I was uh, a little confused rewatching this episode the purpose of all this rock breaking uh you, you know kind of even separate from uh you know it, who are the other people working there quick uh, quick peek at uh, lostpedia early anyway um was that uh that what's initially called a quarry that ends up being the runway that we see uh the ajira flight land on um apparently there was a line where the what did that say here? Um, apparently there was a line uh, in The Cost of Living uh, in which, uh, which I believe is next week's episode, right? Um, where uh, it's it's called a runway. Uh, that line got cut so that it was uh, kind of you know put into Looking Glass Part 1 uh, to establish it. And then uh, there's a note here that uh, in the official Lost podcast, uh, it said that Jacob ordered the runway to be built, uh, therefore the implication being that it's uh, highly probable that Jacob was expecting that uh, Ajira flight. So, 
um, I think that that certainly answers my, uh, you know, my initial concern more. What, yeah, I don't know why the other, the other others are working there for lack of a better moniker, um, or you know why they need to work silently. Uh, perhaps it is some sort of you know this is where the the, the naughty ones go to to labor all day while other other others uh, you know have more uh, more interesting jobs. But that uh, that is the purpose. And actually, that that works that works really well for me. I like the notion that we have this rock breaking business here that um, you know that gets referred to as a runway later on. Which, as I said, I'll admit I did not remember that. Uh, without uh, the the help of Lostpedia, and um, you know the fact that we then ultimately spent so much time there in season six, so a bit of uh, a bit of destiny. Anyhow, with that, the story moves to Mister Pike sharing information with Jin, and uh, I think that initially, uh, you know, first viewing and all that, we think that it's to share the information of Sun's infidelity. Uh, instead, he's told that Jay Lee has been stealing from Jin. And uh, that's an interesting line there. Does uh, does Mister Pike, you know, see see uh, his daughter as his property? Uh, is it uh, just kind of is it a way to explain it to Jin? Is it just kind of the rationale? He's not going to say, you know. I mean, clearly for whatever reason, uh, Pike does not want this information shared with Jin. Although I think. The reaction would be the same. Jin would still kill him, and that's what Pike wants. Um, perhaps then Jin wouldn't have this uh, difficulty in the, you know, kind of in the third part of the story, uh, you know, wrestling with the idea of whether he should kill Jay Lee or not. But um, it's it's interesting. I think that it it does kind of hearken to uh, to Pike's final line. Uh, it, you know, what is his final line in the episode that? Uh, it's son's responsibility to tell her husband if she's had an infidelity. It's not his just because he found out about it. And um, which ties it all back to the rather faint metaphor of the glass ballerina. There is, you know, there's, of course, that opening scene where she's uh, not willing to take responsibility for what she did. And uh, I suppose when it's put plainly like that, then then the metaphor is clear uh, in uh, certainly in the flashback story. And I think to a, to a bit less a degree, uh, the on Island story, but certainly she is um, she's increasingly taking responsibility for the important things. She's uh, you know, she has this attitude later on in the episode, not to, not to jump ahead, but she has the attitude later on of uh, if the others make it to the boat, then, you know, my husband is dead and I, I won't care. Well, she finds out that she does indeed very much care. Now, she might kind of put two and two together and realize somehow they've gotten on the boat without Sun and, or with, pardon me, without uh, Jin and Saeed knowing. But the fact that, you know, hey, you're a, you're a person of your own volition. Furthermore, you're pregnant. So the fact that Jin, you know, might get gunned down by the others, that's not necessarily reason to just, you know, jump in the ocean and let the waves take you uh there's still reason to to fight and to be your own person and to be responsible for yourself and for the the slice of world and life and whatnot that you have in it but anyway let's let's get back to the proper chronology of the episode shall we um 
so Jin here is uh, is uh, wrestling with um, you know what should be done about this person Jay Lee who's quote unquote stealing from Mister Pike. He balks at the idea of ending the problem, as in killing him. He says that that's not part of his job. And uh, with that, there's some fantastic acting out of uh, the actor who plays Mr. Pike. Um, his And I'm, this isn't the first time I've noticed this, but his right eye doesn't quite open as much as his left. And when he's really ticked off here and his eyes are big and he's yelling, or his eye is big and he's yelling, you have the one eye that's open fully and the other one that's kind of still squinting a bit. And it's just this strange, maniacal look, and it's absolutely fantastic. With that, Jin tries to quit, and Quan, you know, yells and huffs and puffs for a little bit. Then he plays the family card. He, you know, basically says, you you married into my family. We are family. This man has stolen from us, so we within the family must, must deal with it. Your shame uh, my shame, says Quan, uh, says uh, says Pike, my shame is your shame. Irony of ironies, for Jin, it's clearly much truer than he knows. Uh, after that, there's a quick scene on the boat as Saeed plots to hang out at the supposedly unused Pala Ferry dock. Why, that's the very same do- dock that we saw at the end of season two. That's what eagle-eyed viewers might say with kind of an air of prediction. Um... That we cut to Kate busting rocks in her sundress. We notice her. Sawyer notices her. Yum. It's all interrupted. Perhaps perhaps unfortunately. As far as I'm concerned, we're about 20 minutes into the episode at this point. They could have spent, you know, the remainder with just Kate breaking rocks in my book. Um, but anyhow, they don't. Alex returns kind of... Uh, you know, skulking through the bushes, she returns to ask about Carl and to remind us that she's one of the good ones, by the way. After a bit more of uh, flirting from Sawyer, we move to Saeed, Sun, and Jin on the beach, preparing to light a new signal fire, whilst, by the way, boxed in by the jungle on three sides and the water to their backs. This is a bad tactical position, uh, though Saeed explains his plan is to lure in the others, catch two, and kill the rest. Continuing the irony, he asks Sun to lie to Jin about it. Then, of course, after the act break, we're back in flashback. Sun and Jin are at home, still lying to each other in many ways, although they honestly discuss Jin's upcoming revenge job. Sun is generally supportive of the job, ironically enough, uh, given that it is to uh, go attack her lover. Uh, there's there's some great... Um, dialogue there that you know of course isn't uh, wasn't capturable since uh, most of my dear dear listeners don't know korean but um there's kind of a moment that i don't recall us having seen before but we kind of knew it anyway jin is doing all of this due to wanting to provide properly for his wife he knows he's a fishmonger's son he knows he's a you know a, a doorman that's kind of where, you know, the slice of life that he could operate at. He, uh, I believe we see him as a waiter at, uh, uh, the, is it the House of the Rising Sun? Um, where, you know, they're kind of secretly canoodling. Um, but he, he wants to provide the very best for her. And in the process of doing so, walks down this very dark path of, you know, kind of being the, uh, 
it's not quite a hitman, but being the, you know, the the problem solver for Mr. Pike. Uh, and he kind of calls Sun on it here in, in a in a rather enjoyable way, I think. Um, we generally like Sun quite a bit, but I think that um, there still is this, you know, she's being presented here kind of as the spoiled brat in the ivory tower who wonders, you know, where all these wonderful things come from, or at least asks it, but doesn't ever really investigate or really want to know that there's people who, you know, who, who work hard and who's blood, sweat, and tears makes it all possible. And Jin essentially calls her on it, saying, you know, I bloody my hands. He, he, I'm not quoting here, but he's essentially saying, I bloody my hands to keep you surrounded by, you know, nice things in this wonderful apartment. So, anyhow, after all that, Jin leaves to do the dirty deed. Or at least, not in the Sun and Jay Lee sense, of course. But anyhow, back on the Pala Beach, Sun, uh, Jin asks for a gun, wanting to be part of this latest dirty deed. As, he says, via Sun's translation, he knows English better than she thinks, and he knows, she, yes, he knows she's betrayed him. Blah. Uh, he, you know, indeed does get a gun, and he kind of checks it and cocks it and whatnot, uh, all that with flourish. Uh, and it's kind of at that point that we see the return of Hitman Jin, you know, the one that we've only seen in uh, in flashbacks, maybe a little, a little bit in the beginning of the first season. Although at that point he was just the mean husband, we kind of didn't know he was a a rogue or a toughie. Um, side note: Saeed and Jin—that just would have been a great spinoff, wouldn't it? You know, kind of going maybe you know that's who they should have cast for person of interest instead of. Jim Caviezel and uh, and Michael Emerson, you know, would have been like Said and Jin busting down doors, you know, you know, doing bad things to even worse people, and kind of you know the Robin Hood approach. But oh well, JJ, call me. We'll we'll hash it out. With that, the story moves to the quarry and future uh, future runway. This uh, rock breaking prison, if you will, Sawyer ever lusty. Gets his first good look at Juliet. They share longing, loving looks as she gamely gives him her canteen, which he promptly turns over and spills out. Uh, Kate is seen at the background. Sawyer turns and sees Kate. Jacquino tells us that he's thinking, longing, loving thoughts about her. Uh, had the three of them stood in a literal triangle, that's the only way that the love triangle would have been more clear. Still, as the sweaty Sawyer goes to kiss Kate, the scene works. There's always been someone who lives in the moment, so why not live each moment to its fullest when you've got nothing else to live for? The kiss is broken up, and a pretty sweet fight breaks out. Sawyer truly could have killed everyone if not for Juliet bringing her gun to Kate. the gun down. Right now. Put the gun down.
with that, we are back to the boat. You know, I remember on first viewing, uh, this scene felt particularly weak, given the aquatic advantages that the others have. Perhaps we're meant to assume that they cannot take our heroes by sea now that the beat-up other's boat has been taken by Michael. Um, first viewing, though, it just felt so obvious that they were coming from the sea. Um, this time, it's it's very, very much less so. Perhaps it's knowing that we have the sub. Um, perhaps it really just is part of this um, malaise that I had uh, at the start of this season. Um I think that Lost has this habit that in the course of a season, they build things up. And at the end of the season, they knock it down, and you have to start over the next season. And it was a bit less obvious seasons going from seasons one to two, because they had been trying to get into the hatch for so long. So the fact that the dynamic of the show was changed from you know, fresh water, the caves, people dealing with people, interesting flashbacks. The fact that that changed somewhat to the mystery of the hatch, spending all the time in that as a set piece, Desmond, etc. The fact that it was a bit of a game changer for the show wasn't as obvious because it felt like a normal, uh, uh, I don't want to say conclusion, but a normal extension of what had already been discussed. Um here, you know. However, let's acknowledge that the the amount of time spent in the hatch and the Dharma stuff and the Dharma films and the Arrow Hatch and the Staff Hatch, etc., etc., that is a vastly different season in season two than the first season, which was a little bit with the monster, a little bit with trying to survive, a little bit with their backgrounds, a little bit with everybody getting to know everybody else. Um, so. I wonder if that's where some of my uh, my my lack of enjoying the the first let's say half of the third season uh, where that came from, um, just not acknowledging that they were just doing what they always did, um, and, and you know that they they at the beginning of a season they would always introduce a new overarching mystery for the season or or beyond the season. Um, that kind of was the glorious frustration of the show, right? That you'd be, you know, who are these others? What do they want? This, you know, fine. It's the guy, you know, Henry Gale's name is now Ben and he wants Jack for some mysterious thing. Then he gets to go home. You know, it's so obvious to us on the flip side. When Ben showed up, he wanted the, the spinal surgeon. And then Ben tugged his strings here and there to be able to leave the hatch with you know, alive and with the spinal surgeon. Now he has the spinal surgeon, etc., etc., etc. And why does he have Sawyer and Kate? Uh, ben, that is. It's to be further bargaining pieces to get the spinal surgeon to do what he wants, because Ben's all about people committing to what they do. You know, wanting to wanting to see the world the way he does, or manipulating them until they want to see the world the way he does. So. As I say, the I just so distinctly remember saying this is ridiculous. Saeed's supposed to be the most military guy. Don't you acknowledge that by watching the 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 one route in, you're which is you know by land that you're forgetting that they can come in by sea. Um, that that you know, kind of you know some of the uh, the references to them. Uh, 
you know, showing up at the end of season one by water. How has Saeed not figured that out? To me, it's just, it's a lot less obvious here, which is strange because things should be more obvious. It being, you know, seeing it for, you know, the, uh, on multiple viewings, seeing it for, um, you know, like, you know, where I don't have a, a necessarily a week between episodes or some lengthy summer between between uh, the last episode, you know, I mean, in the last year, I've watched 51 episodes of the show, so, um, it, uh, anyhow, much, much less obvious, uh, let's get back to this episode, shall we, before it ends up being 30 minutes of me rambling, unlike other podcasts, but anyhow, uh, the scene ends with Sun grabbing a gun, dot, 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 we end the act, and then uh, we return in flashback with Jin and his gun, some nice little symmetry there. Uh, waiting to see Jay Lee. Uh, now we're we're definitely meant to to dislike Mean Jin from season one, but I have to say, seeing him beat the holy crap out of Jay Lee indirectly because Jay was a naughty boy with Sun, uh, it's a very very fulfilling scene. Jay does not return one punch. It's his head smashed in the door. He's smacked around i think he's thrown to the coffee table at some point there's just hitting smashing you know blood fisted you know face hurting just you know 10 seconds of fight i actually would have enjoyed if there was more blood and cuts on jay's face a bloody lip and a cut eyebrow not enough for me but anyhow we also feel good for the gin that we've come to know uh, to see that he can't kill he tells jay to Hit the road. Notice, too, by the way, that Jin's words are vague. Do you know who I am? Do you know why I'm here? You have to pay. Um, I wonder what Jay knew. I wonder if he saw Mr. Kwan, son's husband, or if he saw Mr. Pike's uh, henchman. You know, I wonder who he saw that was that was beating him up, but... Anyhow, I like also this kind of story flourish that uh, Jin is able to leave Jay Lee alive, but... <laughs> Jay Lee jumps from the window, and rather convincingly, too. It's a nice, solid fall. Uh, good job on the stuntman's part. And it's it's very, very shocking. It's out of the blue, I think, on, on first view. And uh, we're just appropriately left with our jaws on the floor. I know, too, I think uh, something that I omitted from the Wikipedia um, summary was that the fact that Jay is holding the um, the pearl necklace that he wanted to give to Sun, the fact that he's holding it um, is proof or it is suggestive that he was uh, thrown from the window. I even remember at the time that was a theory being bandied about that that he was he was thrown. For the life of me, I can't I cannot reconcile that idea. Um, to me, the fact that he's holding the pearl necklace says that he jumped. You know, he's jumped with this symbol of love for her, a love that he's not able to give her. You know, he he's prepared to give her the pearl necklace at the beginning of the episode, but she turns him down, reminding him that she's a married woman. And not to excuse the you know emotional and physical infidelity of which she is very guilty of, but clearly she's drawing. You know, she's not saying you know, 
oh, I just need to figure out a way to run off with this guy. It's kind of, here's my life with my husband, and I'm also doing this bad thing on the side. But I think to her, it's very clear, it's an on-the-side type thing. And that feeds back into the view of Sun that we're being given in this episode, which is the spoiled brat who can have her glass ballerina and break it and let other people worry about the consequences. Not her. She's consequenceless. That's what we're seeing, in, in, in at least in her flashback here. So, furthermore, just from a, you know, I'm, I'm no industrial baddie with henchmen who can beat up people for me. But why would Mr. Pike send two people to go take care of the Jay Lee problem and have the first one, Jin, kind of go as the, you know, I mean, he's kind of on this secret mission, right? You know, it's kind of sneak into the hotel. You know, had there anybody else been in the hall in the hotel, he clearly would have handled things differently, but he didn't. So point being, Jin is operating unseen beats up jay fine he was supposed to kill him he doesn't but are we then supposed to believe that there's now a second guy who's trailing Jin, trailing jay to make sure the Jin does this and then if Jin doesn't there's no repercussions on Jin. but the second guy is going to kill him i mean i imagine henchmen willing to kill people let alone, well, henchmen willing to beat up people, let alone kill them, I imagine there's not a ton of those. So why would Mr. Pike send two with one as the backup? It's just, whether you look at it from Pike's point of view or Jay's point of view, I think it's clear that Jay committed suicide. But anyhow, uh, with that, we head back to Saeed. On, uh, he's empty-handed on the beach and the others getting on the sailboat. Um, you know, I really brought, bought, rather, uh, the tension on the boat between Sun and Colleen. Um, yes, there's the standard, we aren't the bad guys bit. Yes, there's the standard, we know who you are, Sun Hua Kwan. Uh, you know, Colleen's ready to quote chapter and verse from Sun's file. Um, you know, it's somehow it's standard, but it also works. I think it works because the show isn't overselling us on the idea of frail son. We've seen spoiled son in the flashback big time. That's not the son that we know on island. Uh, we have seen her grow. We're seeing her to continue to grow. And, you know, that scene ends with son genuinely shooting uh, Colleen. And I'll mention as well, I, I think it was on the Wikipedia summary, uh, references made to her accidentally shooting uh, uh, Colleen. I would disagree with that as well. I don't think it's accidental. I think it's, I mean, it's not kind of stone cold killer, you know, on the count of three, I'm going to pull the trigger. Then she raises it, aims cleanly and fires. But she's saying, I have a gun, it's pointed at you. And when the threat reaches a certain level, Sun doesn't think about it. She Maybe it's not this conscious, now I fire, you know, as a marksman might do. But Sun... Sun shoots the gun of her own volition. This isn't, you know, somebody bumps into her and the gun goes off. Sun genuinely shoots Colleen and genuinely, you know, that's a gut wound on TV. That's gut wounds are, you know, what you die from. Um, I, yeah, so, I mean, to me, there's, we just see the further evolution of Sun here. It's not, you know, oops, there's some accident, like I accidentally knocked the glass ballerina uh, off the table, and I'm not going to take responsibility for it. It's no, I'm 
beginning to be so responsible that when push comes to shove and someone is threatening my life, I can I can push back. So uh, after that, I mean, you know, we just have this great moment of stun stepping up. The others um, are being outfought, and as the sailboat takes off, Jin and Sun are separated by water again. At least their separation uh, by water is just brief this time. It's worth counting here. We see Sun and Jin separated by water uh, in the raft. This time, briefly, uh, on the freighter, and then uh, risk being separated uh, on the sub, uh, which, of course, you know, that is. That is uh, when they are <laughs> are separated of their lives, but not of each other. But anyhow, after the act break, we're at Jay's funeral in a spectacular location that really sells the Asian atmosphere. Um, I, I hope calling it a pagoda temple is the uh, the appropriate thing to call it. But you know, they're at they're at what appears to be a, a genuinely uh, Asian inspired location in Hawaii, and. Uh, there's just this great camera shot. You kind of look down towards the funeral, then around and up at sun in this magnificent piece of architecture behind her. But uh, Mr. Uh, Pike arrives because he, quote, does business with the boy's father, which, of course, is his explanation to son. But I think you know she, having been caught by him in the beginning of the episode, can, can know he's just there to kind of... <laughs> he calls this, so he should witness the result. Um... Mr. Pike scolds Son about how shameful Jay must have felt to take his own life. Uh, not, mind you, the shame of committing suicide, but what shame must have driven him to this? What, what shame there must have been in his life? You know, he's having a polite conversation, of, but of course, um, you know, blaming her for it, essentially. Son asks if uh, her father will ever tell Jin, and Mr. Pike sneers at her saying that it isn't his place to tell her husband. It's a damning, uh, vague callback to the glass ballerina that opened the episode. Pike knows his daughter's weak-willed. Although he loves her enough to protect her, and I think to protect her from Jay, from her infidelity, to protect her from herself. And he clearly is deeply disappointed in her, as perhaps he has been for many years. You know, Surprise, surprise daddy child issues and lost uh it's at this point in the episode too that things are starting to feel fast uh we're clearly wrapping up the the flashbacks uh and sun and jin you know when last we saw them they were in the water but they were safe and uh you know if you're watching the clock you might be wondering what what kind of story is left what's what's in store for us here um and anyhow the story continues they're back on the beach uh, safe son and Jin are canoodling a bit. And then Saeed tells them that they should get walking as, you know, they've gone and lost that nice boat of theirs. Uh, thus ends, you know, we've had the flashback scene end. Now we have the son, Jin, Saeed on Island story end for the episode. Cut to the bear cages uh, where Sawyer and Kate are being put to bed, so to speak. Uh, Kate is aghast that Sawyer misbehaved in the chain gang. Uh, Sawyer is hardly ruffled knowing that he got intel for the next fight. He sizes up the competition as beatable next time, 
all except for that blonde, Juliet, who he figures would have shot Kate. As they continue to plan, we cut to Ben watching on the monitors, hearing the entire thing. Uh, Jack appears on another monitor as well, uh, which is convenient, as you know, as I indicated before, we've got about five minutes left to the episode at this point, and Saeed's son Jin is taken care of, the flashback is taken care of, the Sawyer and Kate uh, bit is taken care of. Why, wow, we have enough time for a Jack mini-sode. Uh, ben, at that point, enters Jack's holding cell and notes the irony. You know what's crazy, Jack? A week ago, you and I were in exactly the opposite situation. I was the one locked up and you were the one coming in for visits. And I know that you were angry that I lied to you about who I was, but... Hell. Do you blame me? I mean, let's face it. If I'd have told you I was one of those people that you and your friends have been calling others all this time... It would have been right back to Saeed and his fists. Wouldn't it? What do you want from me? I want for you to change your perspective. And the first step in doing that would be for me to be decent enough to introduce myself honestly, so... My name is Benjamin Linus, and I've lived on this island all my life. It's great delivery. Uh, I love kind of the touch there of the human decency that uh, Ben was not extended. He now is extending to his prisoner. Um, it's, it, I mean, look, the irony of it is is obvious enough. You know, now Jack's the one in the in the hatch of sorts. Jack's the one separated from his compadres but uh it, it's such a delicious irony nonetheless isn't it it uh you know and just it makes you love ben all the more that he's gone from you know this this x factor to this duplicitous you know wild man with his ripped up shirt and uh and whatnot now here he is button down shirt glasses you know khakis loafers and uh it's just uh you know the shoes on the other foot and he's he's uh on the one hand relishing being in control but also genuinely need genuinely needs jack for this thing this mysterious thing which of course is for jack to do this surgery and um at that point you know as as ben is trying to remind jack of uh of home, of something to, to hold on to, um, the show was able to take uh, take use of one of the great strokes of luck, genuine luck, uh, for the entire series. I don't mean luck in a story, I mean the show being lucky. Having commented in season one as to one of the great um, uh, indicators of the frailty of human existence, um, Luck has delivered to the show uh, the, the flip side, the notion that uh, all is redeemable with patience, luck, and hope. 
and uh, it certainly is a it's a wonderful comment on I think the show's message, and certainly it's a comment on the message that Ben is trying to deliver to Jack. You're stuck here just like we are. You don't have any. Your flight crashed on September 22nd, 2004. Today is November 29th. That means you've been on our island for 69 days. And yes, we do have contact with the outside world, Jack. That's how we know that during those 69 days, your fellow Americans re-elected George W. Bush. Christopher Reeve has passed away. Boston Red Sox won the World Series. <laughs> <laughs> if you want, if you wanted me to believe this, you probably should have picked somebody else besides the Red Sox. No, they were down three games to none against the Yankees in the league championship, and then they won eight straight. Sure, sure, of course they did. <laughs> Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. A clean sweep of the St. Louis Cardinals. And the Red Sox celebrate in the middle of the diamond here at Bush Stadium. So it's with that taste of home that Ben is promising that if Jack does what is asked of him when the time is right, Ben's spinal surgery, that he'll get to go home. And uh, I just love, 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 love that clip. I mean, in part because it's, you know, it was it was the Red Sox winning, in part because it was the the Yankees being vanquished in what could arguably be called the biggest collapse uh, in the history of baseball, not uh, you know, let alone sport in general. Um, but uh, just you know, it also ends up nicely commenting on the overall message of the show. Uh, as I indicated before, it's this notion of, you know, try and fail, try and fail, try and fail, try and fail. And one day you'll succeed and all all will come true if uh, if you stick with it. Um, so that's how the episode ends. It's kind of on this curious note of Jack having destiny. And I might mention, too, this notion of Jack going home which is something that he hasn't overly expressed an interest in. I mean, he's not, you know, Locke and Rose territory of not wanting to go home, but he's realistic enough to have been worried about the the day-to-day operation of the survivors and the day-to-day threats and, you know, not even that he's focused on day-to-day, but kind of he, he's living um, in a practical world, which is that, that no one's coming for them and that, you know, if an option presents itself, it'd be great to get off the island, but he's not kind of living in hope every day. But here we have episode 302. Here we have the possibility being floated of going home. And of course, how does the season end? He's home and it's not what he wanted. It's it's awful. It's guilt-ridden. It's it's terrible. It's, you know, leading him to this awful depression and just just forsaking his own life and whatnot so fun fun episode it really really is i'm i will be interested to see where the next four episodes go because i've i've commented many times before in the course of these six episodes uh i was not i was not happy with the six episodes um and you know again i think some of that as i said before was just the newness of it all um 
the characters that I think we uh, have the most fun with. They might not be our favorite characters always, but the characters that we have the most fun with, uh, Hurley, Charlie, Locke, for example, um, we haven't seen them in two episodes here. Uh, what's up with that? Rose and Bernard. Bernard showed up uh, in the in the final episode. I don't think uh, of, of season two. I don't think Rose did. What's up with that? What's up with Claire? What's up with the baby? You know, we haven't seen them in these two episodes. It's a curious decision. I think that perhaps that's a factor in many people not being happy with the first six episodes on first viewing. I mean, whether they it was enough for them to stop watching or not, I don't know. Although it's worth mentioning that there was a, a pretty significant drop in ratings uh, when they came back. Um, although I think, too, that's, you know, this is around the time where digital recording and whatnot is uh, really taking off. And it's during the course of this season where um, the Nielsen people start counting those ratings. And most of the people who disappeared actually didn't. They just were watching it in an alternative way, which as a side note might be a way that is useless to, uh, you know, a TV network, because if you're not there to watch the commercials, then they can't sell you on ad time, you know, sell ad time uh, to your viewership, that kind of thing. But um, I'm having more fun with these first two episodes of the six uh, than I thought I would have. Um, and maybe that's just because you know it, because you know who these people are, because we can we can look forward to Pickett getting his own down the line because we can look forward to uh, the episode somewhere in these six where you, you know, we still don't know where we are. We still don't know that we're on Hydra Island. We're going to get to see that there's an island off the island, by the island, however you want to put it. Um, it uh, it's you know we're, we're seeing a bit more here of Dharma. Um, it's all it's all good fun. It's all good fun. So. Um, I guess too. Come to think of it, that that uh, it's also setting up, you know, Hydra Island and the and the runway and all that for for you know the the wrap up of the series. So a, a good episode, definitely a good episode, enjoyable, good tension, good characters, and um, with that, let's take a look at Lostpedia. This was the least interesting. Let me back that up. Not that these facts aren't interesting, but this bit from Lostpedia here, there's no juicy stuff. There's not even kind of dumb stuff. Um, these are the three best ones I could get. They're neat, but none of them are going to rock your world. So, um, The first one probably is the most world-rocky. As indicated in the press releases for this and the next episode, Further Instructions... Um, pardon me, I misread that. As indicated in the press releases for this and the next episode... Further Instructions was originally planned to air as the second episode of the season, but it was switched with this episode for unknown reasons, possibly in order to delay the revelation of the Hatch implosion aftermath. So, if that's the case, then we would have gotten to our other people a lot quicker. Uh, You know, the people back on the main beach, back on the main island. Um, Would have been interesting to see it that way. However, I don't, you know... I kind of like that there's this tease of the main story, so to speak, the main bunch, you know, survivors on the beach after a plane crash, that those people, uh, it takes to the third episode to see. Um, 
Anyhow, the next bit is uh, Jay Lee's hotel room number was 1516. Okay. And the metronome that Young Sun is playing along with is set at the tempo of 108 beats per minute. So with that, we uh, are almost done here. This is uh, the one-year anniversary um, uh, uh, of Looking Back at Lost. It it first uh, came on uh, February 11th, and this episode is uh, dropping for February 10th. So what a a nice year it's been. Thank you for joining me. um, It's amazing to think, here we are, having completed the 51st, uh, hour of of the podcast uh, 51st well certain 51st podcast episode about a lost episode and um it uh you know what we are about eight weeks oh, nine weeks away from the halfway mark you know 121 episodes you count the episode as the the, the last episode um at, at two plus hours, that that's a self-contained episode. Where the other in the one twenty, even if it's a two-parter, they're kind of treated as as individual episodes. But um, it's amazing to think that you know, essentially by you know what by April, we'll be we'll be halfway through this puppy. So uh, thank you for joining me for the first year of the podcast. There's uh, seventy-one weeks left, so still plenty to go. Uh, next week will be episode 303, Further Instructions. And a reminder, of course, the episodes launched to the website iTunes and the Lost Podcasting Network on Fridays. Um, also mention that we are continuing to have a, a jolly old time, myself and uh, my compatriots from phgeek.com, doing the Alcatraz podcast by phgeek. Um, it is a tremendously interesting experience to have been made interesting in podcasts primarily by uh, the Lost Casts podcast, which, of course, was talking about Lost each week that a, a new episode came out, uh, by uh, The Transmission, as Ryan and Jed, Jen did the same thing, um, to then really get into podcasting properly uh, by doing, looking back at Lost, you know, where, where it's meant to be uh, more authoritative. It's meant to be looking at the big picture. It's meant to, you know, be taking all these answers that we have and putting it all together, making sense of it. And then now it's kind of going back to the beginning here, where it's like, you know, what? Do, how did that doctor get there? What are they doing with the body? You know, kind of all these questions and no answers. And uh, it's 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 quite a bit of fun. So, anyhow, uh, if you'd like to share feedback for this podcast. Uh, you can do it in a bunch of different ways. You can call the listener line at 732-707-1815. You can say hello to me on Twitter while I'm looking back lost. Send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. Comment on the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And, of course, you can find the show on iTunes, where reviews are always, always appreciated. So thank you very much, one and all, for listening yet again. And I will talk to you all again next week for episode 303, Further Instructions. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.